It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, crime-fighting barber and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey, Coach. Welcome aboard to another episode. We are so glad that you're here. These have been going great, and I think you're going to enjoy today's episode just as much as you have the past few. We have been talking, if you've been keeping track, and you can always play back the past episodes uh, of the podcast, but what we've been talking about recently, because it's on the mind of college coaches, is leadership and developing your career and becoming a person that takes command of your program. And we've talked to leadership experts like Jeff Jansen, uh, one of the most respected authors and and thought leaders on the topic. We just had a a really popular episode with the new Ole Miss women's basketball coach, Yolette McEwen, and her inspirational story and her take on, on how she has built her career. And we're continuing with that theme today because, again, this this does very much lapse over into the topic of recruiting because if you can't lead your program and if you don't define who you are and become just the natural leader that you need to be when you're in college athletics, whether you're an assistant coach at a small program or the head coach of a major Division One program, if you aren't doing that well, recruiting isn't going to go well. And that's why we've wanted to spend so much time digging in deep to this topic because Coaches need to do this well. Today's guest is Celia Slater. Celia, as many of you know, was a uh, college athlete. She played college basketball at both Clemson and Florida State, then became a coach. And what she's doing now is she has left and transitioned out of the coaching profession. She has started uh, academies and workshops revolving around her company, True North Sports. And you can find all that information about her on truenorthsports.net. The big thing that she has uh, every spring, late spring, early summer, uh, is Camp Elevate, which is for coaches who want to do exactly what we've been talking about, take more ownership of developing themselves into leaders and caring coaches and coaches who really can build a program from the ground up uh, based on kind of the ethics and professionalism that we all would hope most coaches uh, would build their programs upon. So that's her effort now. And uh, I'm going to be honored to speak at this year's event, the 2018 event coming up at the end of May. And you can get all that information, by the way, on that website, True North Sports. There's still time to sign up. We'd love to have you there. But I wanted to take some time and talk with Celia about her observations uh, when it comes to teaching coaches how to lead and developing kind of those qualities that are just tough to to learn that that athletes and coaches sometimes never get formally taught. That is what Celia is attempting to do as she expands her work now through this new organization and company that she's formed. So we it's a wide-ranging conversation. I think you're going to find it really interesting. And what we started talking about was her goals for what she gets to do, because again, she's been able to look back now in her career and see some things that maybe she should have done earlier. And and just how do you build that successful coaching career based on leadership principles and doing the right thing and ethics and professionalism? The first thing that I wanted to know from Celia as we kicked off this conversation that you're going to listen into, it was, it's pretty simple, but I think it's an interesting question is, Based on all her years in college athletics and all the the athletes that she got to coach, what was some of the mistakes that she made early on 
that she would have wanted to change and that, that she learned from as she built her career as a college coach? I, one of the things that I talk to quite a few coaches about is um, emotional intelligence um, and really understanding how to self-regulate and, and keep control of your emotions and keeping your emotions in check. And I think mm -hmm. when I was a young coach, I was crazy on the sideline. I mean, people laugh when I tell them that now because I'm pretty <laughs> calm, you know, now right. and pretty Zen, you know, whatever. But I, it took me a long time to get here. But I think part of that was I was a really emotional player too. And I was very intense and a competitor. But I feel like sometimes, you know, that lack of emotional control, like I think I probably had on average, maybe one technical per game, <laughs> you know, like I, I just didn't do a very good job of that where some of my kids would feed off that energy, you know, right. and whereas other kids, you know, probably weren't as comfortable with it. And, and so I think that that's just one example of self-awareness, which I believe that self-awareness is the most important skill set that a coach needs. And very rarely do we teach that because everybody gets into the coaching profession based on how they were coached. And so they don't really even know, like, who am I as a coach? You know, right. and so that's kind of why I named my company True North, um, because I love Bill George's work around authentic leadership and following your true north. And I think we have to really call coaches back to who they are genuinely and authentically be the person that you are hmm. and 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 trust your intuition and you know all those types of really high level self-awareness skills right okay so so how would i as a coach and let's say there's one listening right now that thinks i think i'm pretty self-aware um how give us a test like how would i know if i'm not being as self-aware as i as i could have and and also why why should a coach care? Because, hey, Celia, it's all about the wins. My athletic director doesn't care if I'm self-aware. They just want the wins. So make the case for why a coach should be self-aware, and then how do I know if I'm not being? Like, what would be one or two indicators? Well, I think um, just basically really paying attention to where your highest stress levels are. And, and so, like, for example... Do you have a lot of kids transferring from your program? Do you have a staff revolving door? Do you constantly find yourself in conflict with your athletes? Uh, is your culture, does it feel toxic? Do you feel mm -hmm. like a square peg in a round hole? Um, and is, is your life out of balance? Are you just like constantly working? Is your health suffering? Is your relationship suffering? Um, and so the, the thing about the self-awareness to me is like if you don't have it, then a lot of times you're like in a sailboat out on the ocean without a rudder. And so right. you, you kind of like go wherever the wind takes you. And, and I think that the self-awareness part is that's your inner compass. And, and I think that that's the part that I really feel like we're missing in that in the self-awareness piece. So if you're a coach right now and you're really struggling like as a manager of people, whether that's your athletes, whether that's your staff, um, 
and you're struggling with your relationships with the people within your culture, then I think that there might be some help that would be good for you to understand um, and have some self-awareness. Like, let me just, you know, here's a great example of something I wish I would have known when I was coaching because okay. I have seen it change cultures, you know, really has helped is just having your staff and your athletes do a disc profile. Mm -hmm. So let's just say I'm a really high eye. And if I would have known this as a coach, oh my God, it would have helped me so much just in hiring my staff around me in knowing how I interact with my athletes, why I feel felt greater rapport with certain athletes and felt less rapport with other athletes. Um, because you know, in all the, I'm an influencer, I'm a people, I'm a relationship person. Um, I need a lot of verbal affirmation. You know, there's lots of things about me where I don't necessarily, I'm not tied up with results I, you know, as, as a high D would be in disc, you know, so there's, and it helps you communicate. It helps you understand why people, you know, the pace conflicts you have with people. There's just so much great information just in disc that I wish I would have known it when I was coaching. I right. really do. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I just think self-awareness is the starting block of where are you, what are you really good at as well? Because, and, and this is a whole nother piece, Dan, like for us, we, we, we created an assessment for coaches that we call it the coaching compass assessment. And we, we grade coaches on seven different areas that we think make a competent, confident and caring coach. Um, and so it's the acronym is compass. And we really want coaches to kind of look at these seven areas and go, wow, I'm pretty good at that, but you know, I really need to work on this. So it's a self-assessment and it's also a 360 that coaches can do. Right. And so the, the areas are compass. So the C stands for communication. The O stands for organization, management, and leadership. The M stands for moral and character skills. The P stands for professionalism. The A stands for associations and relationships. The first S stands for sport IQ. And the second S stands for self-awareness. And so we, we really want to, we really wanted to have a picture and also just to help coaches see how big coaching really is and how big coaching really should be. Right. You know, it shouldn't be that simple because it's not an easy job. It's a very challenging job. Um, so that's why we developed the, the compass. Right. You also mentioned right at the start of our conversation that um, the importance of a coach being caring. And that struck me because I would say in my time of working with coaches, that when a coach describes their goals for either doing work with us or just becoming a better overall professional, I almost never hear, I hope I become a more caring coach. Uh, mm -hmm. And because that almost, you know, in our, in our culture athletically, that goes against kind of high performance or it would seem to anyway that if I'm a high performing athlete and coach i'm just i want to run over everybody to try to win and to build this program and obviously it goes you know you can take that to an extreme as we're seeing now with some of the recruiting and the basketball scandal that the ncaa and college athletics is having to deal with but you know for that average coach 
gosh, I mean, hey, I'm, I could hear them saying, I'm supposed to win, I'm supposed to get good at leadership and recruiting and all these different aspects that Celia and Dan are telling me, and you want me to work on being caring too? You know, so what, what is the tactical advantage or the career advantage to a coach that becomes more caring? And, and maybe in answering that, could you define your, your definition for caring in the context of it, you know, sort of being associated with a college coach? Well, I think it, it comes kind of from that quote of they don't, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm, yeah. And it's, and I think it's very true of, especially now they're talking about this generation that they have to feel a connection with you. Like they, they're not going to, they're not going to perform for you unless they know you care about them. And there's a certain connection with that athlete. And, and I think that um, that's a huge piece of how, how are you going to be an effective coach? And if, if you're as the head coach, that doesn't come natural to you, well, then you better surround yourself with people that are very good at that. Right. Um, and, and you can, you know, right now, I mean, you can go ahead and, you know, there's research out there that you can go ahead and look at the corporations, the, the different, um, you know, the military leaders, you know, all the different people out there. The most successful ones have found a way to let their people know that they care about them as an individual right. and as a person. And, you know, they can fight me on this all they want. The coaches can fight me on it. I, I, I don't care because it is a very uh, male energy male-dominated um, industry athletics. But I can tell you, the coaches that balance some of these male and female energies and these male and female qualities are the ones that are going to have the greatest success in the long haul. And, you know, how do you define success? And I mean, I know it's all about winning and losing, but hey, you know, what about that kid that you saved their life? Right. You know, what, what, what are you really putting your, your energy into? And I, I'm not, I'm not living in some la la land. I know if you're at a high level school, you have to win. Right. But I'm telling you, I really believe that caring is behind winning. It, it, it is behind it, whether it's the head coach, you know, if it's not Nick Saban hugging those guys, somebody <laughs> in that staff is hugging yeah. those guys. And, and, and I'm not saying like physically hugging them. But I'm going to tell you, they're finding a way to care that they know that they're cared about. Right, right. You, you, um, you talk about sort of the male-dominated culture in college athletics, and I know one of the things that that women's sports at all levels is dealing with is kind of keeping women coaches as women coaches, and mm -hmm. because there's societal pressure to, um, you know maybe leave coaching, have a family, or it's just, you know, the hours are such that, you know, the grind is such that it takes this unique, really unique individual to, uh, to kind of want that. And, and then, you know, on top of that, the money's not great. And so here you have a coach with her master's degree saying, I could be making four times what I am, you know, out in the business world, as opposed to staying here and coaching. Can you just talk really quickly about what you've observed um, as kind of one of these trusted experts that, that coaches would look to around the country. Can, can, you, can you sort of talk to that, I don't want to kind of call it a crisis, but I know that plenty of the women's coaches organizations that we work with at the college level, 
it's a concern. It's getting talked about. How do we keep our coaches, our our women's coaches, in the game? Um, I'm just I'm just wondering what your observations are, or do you see any fixes? Or I'm just kind of opening up that topic, I'd be love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, I, first of all, I think that right now the statistics are that men coach sixty percent, six zero, mm-hmm. of the women's teams right now, and they coach approximately 96% of the men's teams. So when you look at this, there if you look at the statistics, um, there's definitely, in my opinion, a hiring bias. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it out there because it's real. Um, there's also other issues, and I, I'm just going to put a, a very shameless um, plug out there for the the podcast I did with Mary Wise on our Coaches on the Rise podcast Mm -hmm. because we talked a lot about these issues with women in coaching. So if this is a topic that interests you, I think that's you would really enjoy that podcast. Um, And because we talked a lot about how women are recruited to jobs, how women are supported when they take a new job. Um, One of the biggest things that we hear from athletic directors is, you know, hey, I opened up my job and only had one woman apply for it. And and I think we have to finally get our arms around the fact that women are different than men. Right. And you cannot expect women to act like men. You know, we raise women differently, but then when they get into the career world, we want them to act like men. And I, I and we have and we expect them to respond like men. We act we think that their values are the same as men and they're not. And so like one of the things Mary Wise and I were talking about was this whole concept of when she got the job at Florida, they helped her because she asked for it. It was a really risky thing for her to ask back then. This was like 26 years ago, all right, that she's asking for daycare for her two little boys. And, you know, you can't really be comfortable in your job if you don't feel like you have daycare. Right. So we were talking about athletic directors thinking outside of the box on what kind of things would this coach need to move across the country and you know that's one of the things they get women get criticized a lot they won't move for jobs they don't apply for jobs and yet what are we doing to recruit them and what are we doing to support them once they get to the job that's different so and this is just a minor example but we were talking about the fact that women are responsible for building the village wherever you are. So if if you're if you let's just say that you are a typical couple, male female, all right, because we're that's right. not the only type of coaches that we're going to be talking about, but let's just talk about them right now. So if a woman builds that culture and that that village, and she's the coach, and they move to another cult, you know, another town then one of the things I think would be really important is does the athletic department have something in place to help her rebuild that village quickly? And the village is, how do I find the best schools? What, where do, where's the best place to live? You know, all these types of things um, that I think make a big difference with women because they're, they're not going to move just to move, especially if they have a family. Right. And you have to make it worthwhile for them to move and recognize the amount of work it's going to take them to reestablish that village and you know because if they bring their husband he's just going to go and start his job you know he's not going to help 
he's not as much of a player in rebuilding that village. And I'm not talking about all men. I'm, I don't want to, you know, get into that part. But sure. I, I do think that there's some things that we can be doing. Like, why don't athletic departments do a better job of helping the university build daycare centers? Like, why aren't the universities, you know, every university that has a daycare center on their campus has a waiting list that's over five years long. Like, wow. it's ridiculous. No one can get into them because there's they're such a high need for them that, you know, they, they just don't, you, you can't get your kids into them unless you somebody pulls strings for you. So it's kind of like, and I don't think this is just a female issue anymore. I think male coaches are starting to feel it. This younger oh, yeah. generation has already been, you know, it's already been um, researched that this generation of men coming up as fathers want to have a much more active role in their children's lives. Right. Um, so it's it's definitely shifting it, you know, in that direction. But here's the other part for me. Like, I really do believe that there's an unconscious bias. I do. And I think... The unconscious bias is in the men that have 80% of the coaching jobs and 80% of the athletic director jobs. And they, and I really do believe that they do not think women are as good a coaches as men. And, mm. and I'm, I'm just going to say it. And sure. No one wants to say it. No one wants to say it, but they're not, they're not saying it They're It's there. Right. I, but I really do believe that bias is there. Just like they don't believe women are as good as leaders or athletic administrators um, but men are just, you know, they're taught not to respect women from a very young age, that women are less than, you know, the worst thing a boy can be is a girl. And I just think that's kind of this bias that runs in the background of our society right now that we need to start talking about. And that's why I like started working with men and women coaches, male and female coaches. It's I wanted to have those conversations. Yeah, what you're bringing up is you were talking, I was thinking when we do these focus group surveys with athletes, many, many times, again, not all the time, nothing is universal, but I'll just say many times, uh, enough so that it, it prompted me to think about this as you were talking, Celia, that I hear a lot from uh, uh, women's recruits, um, female student athletes that are that are coming up through, let's say, volleyball or club basketball or some sort of travel sport, softball, etc. And sometimes they they list the fact that what, so when we ask why did you what was the ultimate thing what were the factors in you choosing this school sometimes what comes out is that um, that it was a male coach at that school that they end up committing to as the head coach versus a female coach. And when we ask why it is a lot of the, the most common answer is, well, that's what I was sort of used to in my club. And because a lot of the clubs are being led by male coaches. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of this comfort level that I'm, that's what I'm used to as an athlete. And so, you know, that's, you know, there's a natural gravitation to, you know, to maybe continuing what is familiar, which is I know, you know, how most male coaches act and then, but I'm not familiar or I haven't had as much experience with women's coaches. And so, you know, I'm going to go with what's familiar. And I don't know, as you were talking about that, that's one thing that popped into my mind is that I think it extends back even earlier into their development as an athlete. And who are they as athletes looking up to uh, or, or sort of, how do they hear those instructions and and there's an immediate respect be, not because 
you know, males automatically know more than women coaches. It's that that's what I'm used to as the student athlete. Um, yeah, so I don't know no. if you've observed that, but that's one thing that, that, um, that, that I've seen quite often. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely something that in increasing the percentage of women in coaching that we're up against is, you know, from the grassroots level all the way up, they only see male coaches, male coaches, male coaches. And, and, you know, there's, there's, I believe there is some research out there about how women respond to women leaders. I mean, there's almost our own bias, women having their own bias against women. But I honestly, I feel like, again, this is like how we generalize and stereotype the, you know, the female coach is, you know, they, they haven't had female coaches like, like, um, a, a couple weeks ago, I interviewed um, Carly Snyder and Ramat Alassan, who they both played for Mary Wise at Florida. And the interesting thing is, for the two of them, it was really important that they played for a strong female role model. And mm -hmm. that's why they chose Florida. Um, so I think, and but interestingly enough, they both had very strong mother figures in their lives that her, like Carly's mom was a coach. Right. So I do think there's something to that in how they're being raised and how, you know, their environment that they grow up in and what they see and what's important to them. Um, Ramat said it was very important to her um, to have a female coach. Yeah. And, and so I think it's really interesting, you know, the both sides of that. Right. Right. What, what do you see in your work with coaches, what do you see as the most common mistakes that coaches make, not on the court or on the field, but when it comes to developing their careers and, and or maybe there, if there's common uh, weaknesses that you see them needing to overcome in order to be successful, could you list some of those just in your experience in now working with all of the coaches that you and, and uh, True North, North Sports works with? I would say that the biggest mistake that coaches make and, and it starts young in their career is that they will invest most of their time, their money and their energy into learning the X's and O's of their sport. And, the X's and O's, yeah. And, and when you can talk to any coach that has been coaching for a long period of time um, and they'll tell you that that is one of the least most important things you need to know. <laughs> but it's the and, most fun. Yeah, Celia, no, it's it the is. fun part of coaching, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is. It is until all the other stuff starts to bubble up. Right. And then, and, and then you, you don't even get to focus on the X's and O's because you're, you're putting out fires constantly. And so I think that's the biggest mistake. And it's not anyone's fault. I just think it's part of our coaching profession culture um, that we need to try to change that culture a little bit and understand the importance of, you know, these other skill sets that will make or break your career. Right. You know, they're going to make or break your career. Right. And so that's, that's one, uh, one mistake. What would, what would be another? Um, I think another mistake is, many of them don't trust their guts. Like they don't, they don't, Yes. they don't really <laughs> trust their decisions, you know. Absolutely um, agree. 
So that's why, another so why why is that? Now cuz here's this is actually coming at a very interesting, you know, point because um what um I was just with a coaching staff and one of the coaches very intelligent, almost like overly intelligent and um spent uh would spend a lot of time over analyzing to the point where it creates inaction. I mean, there's that that um you know, there's that that you know saying anal uh, phrase analysis paralysis, where you're analyzing right. so much it, it just freezes and you can't make a decision. Then I think he was starting to fall into that category, and so um, they're a client of ours, and I uh, I sent him the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, which mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, is all about how we overanalyze and how really if we're an expert in our field, which I'm just going to say coaches for the most part are experts in their field. You should know where you know, what to do. I mean, for for instance, the coach that needs to um, go out and watch that athlete just one more time play to make sure that that's who they want, and uh, you know that's the sixth time or seventh time that that you're going to go and watch him or her play. Um, most of the time, when we sort of pin coaches down they agree that they probably haven't changed their opinion of that athlete in, since the first 10 minutes that they watched them play. And yet mm -hmm. the comfort is, let's go back and take another look. And it's almost a delay tactic of, you know, it goes right to what you're saying, which is trusting their gut. So, I mean, heck, you've coached before and, and you were a player and now you're around coaches. Answer the question for me, why is it so hard for a coach to trust their gut? Well, I, I think that the, the big picture answer to that is that to me, it's like the trusting your gut is about self-trust mm -hmm. and, you know, like what is your relationship like with yourself? And, and I think, you know, this whole concept of, of trust is, um, I'm trying to think of the, um, the books um, at the, at the, it'll come back to me in a second, sure. but, but basically, um, in the book, speed of trust, you know, it's, you know, there's these different pieces that make somebody trust, you know, that, that helps build trust. And the two biggest components are character, like who you are as a person and competent, how competent are you at what you do? And so I think, when you look at that um, lack of self-trust or not trusting your gut, you know, it can come back to, you know, maybe there's something about you as a person that you're struggling with. Right. You know, and we do a whole, we do a whole thing with our coaches and our self-awareness piece about their life story and how their life story really plays out and how they coach. Mm. Um, because we're simply an accumulation of our life experiences. So everything leading up to what we're coaching and how we're coaching now comes from that life story. So when you look at self-trust and the character aspect, who you are as a person, um, your integrity level, your life story, I mean, all these other pieces, and then the competent piece, how competent do you feel? Because the competent part will really tie into your confidence. And both of these, by, by the way, your character, your life story, and your competence level right. will all play into your confidence level. So it's kind of like, 
and coaches need to be competent in several different areas. You know, they need to be confident in the seven areas I was talking about, but mainly they need to be competent in the X's and O's and they need to be competent in the people skills of right. their, you know, of their, their profession. Um, and so I think if they really want to build their self-trust, they need to look at what's holding them back from that trust, that self-trust. And on a personal level, on a on who they are as a person, but also on a competency level. Like right. why don't they trust their decision? Why do they feel incompetent incompetent? Right. Let me ask you a question. You mentioned going through and the value of coaches going through and doing really like personality assessments like through something like DISC, which is a very popular one. And I'm just wondering, and I'm going to tie that to you talking about uh, your coaching style on the court, you know, one technical per game, which I'm sure was entertaining for the fans, but <laughs> not necessarily good, uh, you know, for, for what was going on on the court all the time. I'm just wondering, so you have these two extremes with coaches. You have some that are the, you know, the fiery uh, technical getting coach that is, that's always up and animated and yelling and, you know, very intense on the court. Uh, and then you have on the opposite side, uh, the passive, um, not in a weak way, but just the, the quieter, observant, um, call timeout when you need to, and then teach or coach, and then let them go play. And you have those two different styles. And I think, you know, you certainly have success evidence with each personality. It's not that one is better than the other. They're just different. But I'm just wondering what from an impact point of the athlete, um, have, I'd be curious to know your opinion on when you see a successful um, sort of passionate coach, animated coach, high energy coach on a sideline, why are they successful? What, what makes that for them uh, successful and, and how do you see kids responding to it? And then also from the other side of it with, with somebody that is more introspective and quieter, um, how are they successful? So I'm just, can you just analyze both extremes? Because I know this is part of what you do in, in, your, uh, in your consultations with coaches and getting them to be better people. I'm just wondering, how do you make each one work? Well, I think, you know, in, in looking at some of the more successful coaches, that whenever they're in a situation, in a game situation, then let because you're kind of describing somebody like in a game or at a practice right or, you know right, whatever right and i think what this is comes back to that self-awareness piece is if you're coaching your number one job is to lead that team you're managing that team and you're leading that team so to me the answer doesn't lie in the extremes it's more of in that moment what does your team need you to be mm. so you know, like I, I know that people argue that you should show no no emotion and have complete composure at all times, like a Brad Stevens type of the Celtics. Right. Like, you know, he's the ultimate no, complete composure, no emotion, so on and so forth. And then there's other coaches that, you know, are very emotional on the sideline, like you said. Um, and I think, but what we miss in it is what is what do the athletes need in that moment? And sometimes I think they do need an emotional jump up fist pump, you know, they right. need that sometimes, you know, and, and I, and then other times I think they need you, they need to see you being calm when right. things are going crazy. 
And if things are going crazy and you're being crazy, then that's probably not helping the situation. It, it um, goes right back to, as I'm listening to you, it goes back to that self-awareness piece mm-hmm. that, you know, honestly, going into the conversation, Celia, I'd never really put that as a, um, as a priority for coaches. And the more I hear you talk, the more it makes sense that, you know, it's, you know, again, on the X's and O's side, you go all, you know, you go to the seminars with, you know, in your, at your coaches convention on, you know, when to call timeouts and how to, you know, structure a game. And that's really all about being self-aware of, of the game and being a good game manager. And what you're bringing up are these ideas that the same thing needs to apply to your coaching personality and making sure it's, it's right at different times and you can turn it off and on, which is, that takes talent. I mean, that's not an easy thing for most coaches to, to do. Well, well, coaching, coaching is a very high energy job, you know, like you, it's, it's very, it takes a ton of personal energy. And I think that's why we see a lot of coaches burning out because they don't re, they don't regenerate, they don't rejuvenate. And because it does demand a ton of vigilance and management and discipline in, you know, how are you responding to those kids? Like, let's just say, for example, that you, when we talk about the self-awareness piece, is you, you have to know your athletes. You, you really have to know them. So, you know, like many coaches, and, and I'm stunned to be quite honest with you, how many coaches do not meet with their athletes individually on a very regular basis that they don't take the time to build relationship with those athletes and really get to know what makes them tick, what are they on the disc assessment, you know, and all these types of things. And I think that that's a real missed opportunity because in those situations, you have to know those individuals on a, you know, on a connection caring basis, going back to the caring concept. And you also have to know collectively as a team what's going to motivate my team in that moment what's going to feel good to them what do they need in that moment but what does that individual athlete need in that moment you know like i had an athlete that all she wanted me to do is you know you know get in her face you know like that mode you know that motivated her and i have other athletes that you know that just made them shrink you know so i just think that's part of that that's why coaching is so demanding right. in a people skills right. aspect. So let me wrap up our conversation with this question uh, because here we are in, in 2018 and coaching has changed. You have the, the what coaches are expected to do and what they need to be good at has expanded dramatically compared to 20, 30 years ago. So I'm just wondering what is the big difference maker moving forward for coaches that you would put on their plate to say, coach, get good at this aspect of your job. Uh, and I'm taking recruiting out of it because that would, you know, that's what, that's what my world is. Now let's take self-awareness out of it. But is there another trait or, or uh, character aspect that you see there's a, there's a commonality with successful coaches that, Moving forward, a coach listening to this should be aware of developing, uh, you know, over the next year or so. Well, you know, I I want to say that I don't think it has changed that much, Dan. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. I feel like 
it's always the, the people who have created great cultures have always had the, the qualities of communication um, and people skills like you know the real the communication to me um, and that and what falls under communication obviously is managing people but also conflict resolution like how do you coaching is conflict right and I think a lot of coaches do not deal with conflict very well and um, so to me I would say you know those communication skills are huge um, how you get them how you acquire them um, you know that that's just really 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 important okay. the, the other part that I know for sure that's very important is that coaches have got to do a better job of creating circles of people in their life that they really trust that they can talk to and process things right and because sometimes it's not a good idea to kick six kids off your team because it got caught drinking right but that's a knee-jerk reaction a lot of coaches will make without really talking it through and talking it out and that you know though to really have people that they trust like I don't know why more coaches don't hire an executive coach like to hmm. be their coach outside of their staff or outside of their um, right, because that's very common in the business world. Very common in the business world. For CEOs, world, right? which is what basically a head coach is. Right. Coach, that is where we are going to wrap it up. Thank you to Celia Slater, the president and founder of True North Sports. If you have the time, if you have it in your schedule to be there, consider coming to Camp Elevate. I am so excited about speaking there. We're going to talk about some things that we've never talked about before with other coaches uh, at workshops that we do or with our clients or in conventions that I speak at. We're developing completely new content for this special gathering of coaches, and I really hope that you're able to be there. Uh, go to the website, truenorthsports.net. Get all the information. Consider coming because it's going to be a fantastic event. And it's focused, again, on all the right things that we've been talking about in this podcast, how to be a leader, how to construct your program the right way, and how to develop yourself into a coach that has staying power within college athletics. Thank you for listening, Coach. We uh, love the fact that you're, you're, you're finding some good stuff in the podcast, and it's great hearing from you. If you have questions or comments, I would love to interact with you. Just email me, dan at dantutor.com. You can also find information about our conference, our recruiting conference, the big one that we have in the summer. That can be found at dantutor.net and just look at the conferences tab. And if we can help you formulate your recruiting strategy, if there's anything that we can do to help you define it and help you execute it, that is our specialty. We work with hundreds of programs in all different sports and division levels around the country. You can email me about that as well or find information uh, about that program called Total Recruiting Solution on the dantutor.com website. Until next time, Coach, we hope you have a great week. Develop yourself into a leader, apply these principles, and become the coach and the recruiter that dominates the profession and has a long, successful career. We'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
college days, oh carefree days that fly. To thee we sing with our glasses raised on high. Let's drink a toast as each of us recalls ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls. Turn on the spigot, pour the beer and swig it, and Gaudiamusi get a tour. Here's two parties we tossed to the games that we lost. We shall claim that we won them someday. To the girls, young and sweet, to the spacious back seat of our roommates, beat up Chevrolet. To the beer and Benzedrine, to the way that the dean tried so hard to be pals with us all. To excuses we fibbed, to the papers we cribbed, from the genius who lived down the hall. To the tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be. Let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams. And we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Oh, soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life. Ooh. But as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee. Thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth. <laughs>